Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to go back on the topic that we were on a few weeks ago on tithes and offerings. Brother Steve has already introduced the, the uh, topic tonight. But there were some things that I didn't get to, and, uh, and I want to share some of the practical sides of tithes and offerings, particularly tithes. And so uh, as, as, as we know, we talked about tithing. We're not going to go over everything we covered in the past, that we know the Bible teaches tithes and offerings. And we know that God wants to prosper us, like uh, Brother Steve has already uh, said. He wants to prosper us, and then he also wants to fund the work of the gospel. And so tithes and offerings have a dual benefit. One is blessing others, and the other is a source of blessing you. And so uh, we talked about the fact that uh, tithing is a New Testament concept. There are people who say, well, you know, tithing was under the Old Testament. Well, there are a lot of things under the Old Testament that are still valid today. Amen. Amen. We're, not, we're not under the law in the sense that we uh, try to do the works of the law to earn our right standing with God or to earn our salvation. But there are a lot of principles in the Old Testament that are still valid today. In fact, there are scores and scores of New Testament virtues and New Testament instructions that are directly based on Old Testament passages. In fact, I, I just, there, there are scores, literally scores and scores, but let's just look at a couple of them. Go with me to, um, just drew a blank here where I wanted to go. Hallelujah. Go with me to Romans, I'll just see if I can find it. How about that? Romans chapter, uh, yeah, chapter eight, Romans eight. Just went blank for a second. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Go to, go to Romans, sorry, I'm getting this straight. Go to Romans chapter 12. These are not in my notes, so. Uh, Romans chapter 12. You know, in verse number 18, it says, if it, if it is possible, as much as dwells in you or depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Uh and then it says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, if you, if you look at your reference there, that comes out of the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. So he's saying that we should not uh, avenge ourselves, but rather give, give place to wrath based on an Old Testament scripture, even from the law. And then he says in the verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Well, that's a quote from the book of Psalms. And so this is, these are just two examples and they're, and they're scores and scores of references in the Old Testament that are brought over to the New Testament to validate or, or upon which New Testament uh, thoughts and New Testament's instructions are based, and so it wouldn't be uh, unusual for us to look to the Old Testament. We found out that uh, tithing really did not originate under the law to begin with. Tithing originated in the Garden of Eden, and then we know that Abraham tithed as an act of faith. We know that Jacob tithed as an act of faith, and uh, 
uh, then the New Testament says that we are to walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. He is not our father God, but he's the father of our faith because he was a man that exemplified faith and the new covenant is based on the Abrahamic covenant that God entered into with him. And so uh, we know that tithing is for today, but then the question comes, it won't go any further into that, we've covered that. Then the question comes up, does all the tithe go to the local church? This is a big area of controversy among Christians today. And so I just want to start uh, answering that by saying this. The local church is the primary means God uses to bless people. The primary instrument to carry out his will and work in the earth. The, the local church is the fundamental primary means. God, is, God works through other people and through other means. He, he works through other ministries. But the primary ministry that God uses to to bless humanity and to carry out his work is the local church. It is more important that the local church be supported than any other type of ministry or work. Various other ministries can and should be supported through offerings from individuals and churches, but the tithe belongs in the local church. Now, the most familiar Bible text on the subject of tithing, of course, is found in Malachi, so let's turn over there. Malachi and let's look at the third chapter. If you go to the beginning of the New Testament and uh, the beginning of Matthew, just take a left and go back into the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And again, people say, well, we shouldn't be basing things on the, on the, on the Old Testament. Well, you should have notified the apostles because they did repeatedly base New Testament ideas on the Old Testament. And, and then even beyond that, Malachi is not part of the law. It's part of the Old Testament, but remember we went through the fact that and, and, and discussed the fact that the Bible uh, and the Old Testament uh, is, is broken down into different sections. The law actually refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books were written by Moses and they are called the Pentateuch and, or the law, the, the law of God. And then we have the historical book starts with Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And so those are the historical books of the Old Testament. And they're not technically the law, they're history books. And then uh, you have the poetic books or the, or the books of wisdom, that's Job and Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then, you have, and then you have the prophetic books. Well, this book in Malachi is one of the prophetic books so it's really not the book of the law. And uh, uh, again, just because it's in the Old Testament uh, is not a valid uh, uh, point of contention. So if you found Malachi chapter three, verse number eight says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that will, there will not be room enough to receive it. Now notice he starts out by accusing them of robbing him. God says, will a man rob God? And which, is, which is an absurd idea. How could a man rob God? Well, they say, well, how? He said, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. Well, if, if tithes and offerings didn't belong to God, then God could not 
accuse Israel of robbing him by withholding tithes and offerings. He could only say, you, you have robbed me from tithes and offerings if tithes and offerings were his rightful due. Isn't that right? So he said, you've, 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 uh, you've uh, robbed me, even this whole nation. Then he, then he tells them how to correctly uh, operate in the tithe. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He, he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And uh, th this is a tremendous blessing. Now, in the Old Testament, the storehouse was part of the temple. When it says bring all the tithes into the storehouse, the storehouse was part of the temple. Notice he goes on to say that there, be me, that there may be food in my house. See, the children of Israel brought their tithes into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse was a place. The storehouse wasn't a minister or a ministry. It was a physical building, a physical place that had been erected for the worship of God. This is where uh, the children of Israel came to make their sacrifices, where they came to worship, where they came to be taught, to be instructed, and, and to hear from God. And they brought their tithes in the storehouse. Now, there are times... When uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures, tell, told, they told the Israelites to bring your tithe to the priest. Well, even though they brought the tithe to the priest, the tithe didn't just belong to the priest that they brought it to. In other words, the priest didn't just keep the tithe for himself. The priest took the tithes and, and, and allocated the tithes that came in to all of the different uh, priestly functions to support the Levites, to take care of, uh, of all of the uh, uh, affairs and, and operations of the temple. And, uh, and then they stored up what was not used. You ever noticed, how many of you have been, how many of you are keeping up with our Bible reading? Well, I praise the Lord, a few of you. You ever noticed that at different times in Israel, Israel's history, that a king would come against Israel and the, and, and, and the king of Israel or Judah would take the, the, the gold, the silver and gold from the treasuries and give it to the king to appease him, you know, to appease this other, other king. Then you'd read further in history and you'll find another king did the same thing. Well, if, he gave, if they gave gold and, and silver from the treasury the first time, how did they have gold and silver to give again? We're reading right now about Nebuchadnezzar coming in and taking Israel and Judah captive and he took everything. Well, you would think there would be no treasuries there. Why was there treasure still in the treasury? It's because the people kept bringing them. And so, like I said, they would bring, they would bring the tithes into the, into the storehouse. It didn't just belong to the priest. The tithes don't just belong to any one minister. They belong to the to. The, the storehouse and the storehouse allocated that, uh, the funds as they were needed. Now, just sort of a, a side thought, when you think about it, the priests and the Levites in the Old Testament, they were completely uh, dependent upon the tithe. Their entire livelihood in terms of their income came from tithes and offerings. They didn't use all of it because there was so much they had plenty left over. When, when the children of Israel, you remember when, when the children of Israel first crossed into Canaan, uh, Moses allocated, you know, divided the, the land, you know, the land of promise, he allocated it to the different tribes. You remember, he didn't give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. 
All the other tribes had inheritance in different places. The Levites didn't have an inheritance. They didn't have a land that was theirs. Instead, every tribe had to give the Levites so many cities. For them to live in, they were given fields, lands, to grow crops, to have cattle. All of this, every one of the other tribes gave cities and lands to the Levites. What was the purpose there? To teach the people that they were responsible to support the ministry. And so the Levites really and, and, the, and the priests lived very well in the Old Testament. They had all of their needs supplied. They, they were landowners. They, they had personal lives. Actually, uh, uh, the priests didn't even begin serving. The, not all Levites were priests, but the but. Uh, the priests were from the, from the tribe of Levi. And you didn't start serving as a priest or as a Levite until you were 30 years old. And you served for 20 years and you retired. Now, a little later, it was changed to 25 years, which so it made, instead of 20 years, it made a, a, a career of 25 years. And then during the time of David, he lowered the, the threshold to 20 years. So priests started serving, Levites started serving at 20 years old and served for 30 years. And then they retired. Retired at age 50. And at age 50, they were well taken care of. They continued to, to have tithes and offerings come to them. They returned to their land. They were able to uh, develop their crops. And, and in other words, the Levites lived out their lives with plenty. And you know that's God's plan today. It is. I know personally so many ministers uh, uh, that, you know, it's a shame. Ministers spend their entire lives in the gospel and serving God, serving the church, only in their last days to be in poverty. I know several men like that, my pastors that, that spent their years serving God and then in their, in their last years they don't have anything. Now, that's one reason why our church has an outreach to retired ministers. Every month we give money to so many retired ministers that we've, that we've taken to support. We do that because, you know. Now, part of, part of the blame is on, the, is on those pastors and ministers themselves because they didn't instruct people like they should have. They didn't prepare. I know some of these pastors, one, I'm, one pastor I'm thinking of, but there's several in this same category. You know, they got to a certain place in life and they thought, well, we'll just, we're gonna give our church over to somebody else, turn it over to, to a, another person to, to be the pastor and we're just gonna launch out in the traveling ministry. And they just left their church, lock, stock, and barrel, just turned it over and left and went out on the traveling mission. And, I, and I'm sure they thought they were going to have all of these uh, uh, invitations to come and they were just going to have, uh, you know, a full uh, itinerary. Well, that worked for a few months and then the call stopped coming in. And now they're out there and don't have very many places to preach and they walked away from their church and... They're just in a, in a terrible situation. Well, I can't make up all that. Our church can't make that up, but we can do a little bit to at least keep them out of the soup line. Because I know some of these, these ex-pastors that today, they're having to give, sell everything they own just to keep up. They're having to file personal bankruptcy, not because they went out and lived extravagantly and, and charged a lot of things, just, just to keep the, the wolf away from the door, so to speak. Well, that shouldn't be. And like I said, a lot of times it's a, it's a lack of planning, but uh, churches have an obligation to see that their ministers are provided for. And like I said, the Old Testament, the priests and the Levites, they lived very well. 
And, and Paul talked about the fact that he received from Epaphroditus the, the gifts that they brought. And he said, I am full. I have everything and abound. Well, you know, uh, that's the will of God for everybody. That's the will of God for everybody, preachers as well as, as, as laymen. And, uh, and so, you know, we, uh, churches need to, to provide that. And, and thank God we do that here. That's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to be old and poor. I might get old, but I'm not going to be poor. Amen. And, uh, and God doesn't want it to be that way. Amen. So the, the, the tithes came in. But again, the tithe came to the storehouse, which was a place. It wasn't a minister or a ministry per se, even though it might have come to the priest. Now notice he said, bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I want you to pay attention to those two words, my house. My house is just another way of saying the temple. The temple was called the house of God. Remember when Solomon dedicated the temple and it says that the priest could not stand to minister for the cloud filled the house of God. That's the temple of God. The house of God, the temple of God were one and the same thing. And, and in the New Testament, there are only three things that constitute the temple or the house of God. We know that today God doesn't dwell in a house made with, with hands. He doesn't dwell in a physical temple. But the Bible says he does dwell in his temple. And in the church age, the temple, the Bible teaches that there are three things, there are three things in the New Testament that are identified as the temple of God. Number one, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? Each of us individually are the temple of God. And then we know that universally, the whole body of Christ is the temple of God. And then thirdly, the local church is spoken of as the temple of God. Well, which one of those would the term storehouse fit? It would fit the local church. The, the storehouse couldn't be the individual believer. You should be tithing to yourself. You are the temple of God. Just bring the tithe to yourself. Well, that doesn't make sense. The universal church couldn't be the storehouse because then we'd be tithing to everybody in the body of Christ. I don't know how you would do that. I guess you'd have, there'd have to be a central uh, church bank somewhere and every Christian send all their money. Then there'd have to be somebody that allocated it out, you know, even to all members of the, well, that's absurd. That's not what it means. Well, the only, of the three, the only one that remains that's, that's called the temple of God or the house of God is the local church. Amen. Ministers... The tithe, it says bring the tithe into the storehouse. It doesn't say bring the tithe into a storehouse. A lot of times our, our brethren in traveling ministries, not all of them, but a substantial number of them will say, well, talking about their ministry, well, I'm a storehouse. You know, the Bible says bring the tithe into the, into the storehouse. Well, you know, XYZ ministry. We're a storehouse. But again, the storehouse was the temple. And by no stretch of theological imagination can XYZ ministry be, taught, be thought of as the house of God. You know, the, the storehouse or the house of God is not just open to various interpretations. It is what it is. The house of God is the storehouse. Uh, 
the various ministry gifts are never referred to as the temple of God. Paul said, you are, the t- do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then he said, do you not know that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple? And then, and then he talked about uh, uh, knowing how, that, how a man, talking to Timothy, out, how he ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Paul very clearly identified what the house of God was and he never identified himself as a minister as being the house of God. He never identified any of the other apostles as being the house of God. The house of God was the temple and it was the local temple, the local church. Uh, So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are not the storehouse. I'm not the storehouse. My, the, the, my Edwin Anderson as a pastor doesn't qualify as a storehouse. There's not a storehouse, it's the storehouse and it's the local church. And so that's a, that's a very uh, crucial uh, misunderstanding. In the New Testament, the storehouse, like I said, is the local church because it's the sheepfold. It's the place where saints are fed and nurtured in the faith. It's through the ministry of the local church that believers grow and mature into strong, committed Christians. The local church is where we are trained and equipped for service. Well, as a pastor, why do I teach on tithing? Well, number one, to provide for the local church. Notice he said, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Well, as a pastor, I teach on tithing and giving offerings so that There will be food in the house of God, that there will be spiritual food, that there will be ministry in the house of God. No church can exist without the financial support of its congregation. No one is exempt from helping to support their church. No one. Is impact your church? If impact is your church, then it's your obligation just like the children of Israel are obligated to bring their tithe in the storehouse, it's your obligation to bring the tithe into the storehouse that there will be food in the house of God. Tithes and offerings, let me say it again, are God's appointed way of financing and funding his work. Always has been. All throughout the, the God's dealing with men, tithe and offerings are his appointed way of, appointed way of funding his work. And then I teach on tithing for your blessing. Amen. Go to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. I know what it will take for you to be blessed. And I'm not gonna hide that from you because of what somebody might think or because of somebody might think it's, um, you know, I don't know what people think, but you have to teach the Bible, but I know what it takes to, for people to be blessed. Paul said in in Philippians 4, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. See, there's a reaping that comes, there's fruit that comes from giving. And if people don't give rightly, then they're not gonna have the right kind of fruit and they're not gonna have the blessings that God wants them to have. Every pastor and Christian leader has the responsibility responsibility to teach and practice what the Bible says about tithing. Now today, in today's modern church, it's very uncommon for pastors to even teach on giving at all. 
the, the most popular model of ministry, the one that is in, 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 in the, the most in vogue, if you want to use that word, uh, today that people are following after, giving is never mentioned. Never mentioned. It's anathema. You never talk about it. You just put a bucket at the back door, and if people want to give, they give. It's never mentioned. But by doing so, those pastors are, are you know, faith comes by hearing the word. And people are not hearing, so they are, even if they know to give tithes and offerings, uh, they can easily forget. And then it's so easy for the flesh to, to t- start talking to you. You know, because many times, as you well know, giving tithes and offerings, it, it's a sacrifice. And, uh, and it's not always easy, particularly if you have a pressing financial need in your life, you know. And, and uh, it, the enemy will come to you and say, well, you know, you can't afford to give today. Well, when you have those things, that's just common to all men. That's, everybody faces times like that. I have the Lord speak to me about giving and, and I'm just like you. My, a lot of times my initial reaction is, well, I can't do that. Get, do what? Because the natural man wants to, wants to recoil and, and, and look at his, his need and the natural man wants to be in charge too. The natural man wants to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to make my own way in this world. And uh, and so pastors that, that refuse to teach these things, they're really uh, doing a, a disservice to the church. Amen. This robs the, the, the members of their blessing and actually makes the church inferior to other churches. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians and look at chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You getting anything out of this tonight? 2 Corinthians 12. Look at verse number 13. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul asked this question. He said, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches? He said, how were you inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? He's talking about he didn't receive offerings. He said, forgive me this wrong. Paul was saying that the church at Corinth was only inferior to other churches in that he had robbed them of, of the opportunity to support him. And he said, I did you wrong. You see that? Now go back and look at the context. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Why did he do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it was really the fault of the Christians there at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12. He's talking about, uh, in verse number 11, he says, if we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap, reap your material things? The church at Corinth was actually supporting other traveling ministers that came through, and they were not supporting the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was the founding apostle of the church. He founded the church. And here they were supporting other ministers and they weren't supporting him. And, and they were claiming that, that he was such a man of faith that he didn't need anything from them. He ought to just live by faith. And he says, if we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others, verse 12, are partakers of this right over you, notice he called it a right, 
Are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. He didn't say didn't have the right. He said I didn't use the right. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, this is another example of using the Old Testament to support a New Testament idea. Even so, the Lord has commanded. How did he command? Through the Old Testament. Do you see that? See, the Old Testament is a commandment to the New Testament. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have not used, or I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things to you, that it should be done, done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. If I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I, may not, that I might not abuse my authority in the gospel. Go on over to, back over to 2 Corinthians 11 again. 2 Corinthians, you were in the 12th chapter. Go back to the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> Verse number seven. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I have kept myself from being burdensome to you, and, I, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. And he goes on to talk about false apostles and so forth. There were people who were abusing the Corinthians church and demanding things from them, other ministers. He said they're false apostles. And he said, rather than hinder the work of God, I just decided I'm not taking anything from you. But he really, he said, I really did you wrong. It, it, I tell you what, a church suffers when it's not taught, when giving and receiving is not taught. The church suffers, the people suffer. Amen. Our church has been blessed these many years abundantly. I mean, financially, our church has really been especially blessed. We have a very prosperous ministry here. Have you ever noticed all of our needs are met? We never have chicken dinners to raise money for the air conditioning. We don't have bazaars and garage sales and, and all of these other things to try to raise. We don't, we've never done that. We've never had to do that. The reason we've never had to do that is I've always taught tithes and offerings. And the reason we're, we're prosperous as a church and we are prosperous as individuals in the church is because we obey God's word. And God prospers all of us. Amen.
And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, these, some people aren't interested in help, but if they were, you know, I could help some of these pastors. And I, and I have been able to, to talk to one or two. So, you know, you're, you need to train your church. I know this one pastor, he's a friend of mine, he's independently wealthy. I mean, he, he sold a business for, for several million dollars when he went to Ramah, when he left everything to go to Ramah, you know, got out of the secular world, went to Ramah to go in the ministry. He was very prosperous. He had 30-something employees. And uh, he said he spent his day literally in the bars. And he said his business ran itself, and he said, I was either in the bar or I was on the golf course. And then when he got uh, right with God, got filled with the Holy Spirit and realized God had called him to preach, he sold his business uh, for millions of dollars and went to Ramah. As a first-year Ramah student, he had a brand-new Jaguar. That is not typical. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he, he graduated from Ramah. He started a church. He's been pastoring now for about uh, 12, 14 years. And uh, his, he told me his income from his personal investments is greater than the combined income of the church, of everything, that the entire budget of the church. He said, I actually earn more on my personal investments. And so for, I found out for years he didn't, he didn't take any kind of income from the church. And, and I talked to him. I said, you know, you're, 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 you're hurting the church. You're not teaching tithes and offerings. They need to be supporting their pastor. He said, I don't need to be supported. I said, they need to support you. He said, well, if, if, I take, if, I, if I receive tithes and offerings, if I, he said, if I take a salary from the church, I'm just going to give it back to the church. I said, well, fine, do it. He said, but then the IRS is going to take a chunk of money that they don't have any business getting a hold of. I, don't, I could just not do it. All I'm doing is funding the IRS. I said, no, it's, it's more important than that. I said, one thing is, one day, you know, you're not going to live forever. And should Jesus not return before you go to heaven, you're going to pass that church to somebody else. And you know what? They're going to have a long and storied history of not supporting their pastor. It's going to be difficult to turn that boat around. I said, no, it's scriptural. So, you know, he, he followed my advice and, and he takes a comfortable living now. But uh, uh, God wants us to prosper and he has prescribed how to do it. And it's by giving and receiving God's blessing in our life, Amen. Reasons why Christians refuse to tithe, we've covered this. Number one, of lack of faith. Number two, a lack of honor. And number three, self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own. Or I've done it on my own. A lot of people don't tithe because they simply think that they are the source of their blessing. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Yeah, but uh, if you don't tithe, that's, that's what you're demonstrating. You're demonstrating that you're by not acknowledging God in your tithes and offerings. Uh, the local church is the base for all other outreaches and ministry. Go over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now in the church, verse number one, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers and it lists these, these prophets and teachers. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to, then it tells about all the places they went. Notice ministry is launched from the local church. 
said ministry is launched from the local church. The local church is the base and should be the base for all other outreaches and ministry. You think, well, I, I know brother so-and-so and, you know, you know uh, famous you know, media preacher or TV preacher or whatever you want to call it, and uh, he's not out from a church. Well, he should be. I said he should be. Amen. Every traveling ministry ought to be launched from a local church. I don't care how big they are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, Kenneth Hagin's ministry grew, but the time came when he realized that he needed to have a local church to base his ministry out of. So they started Rhema Bible Church because it wasn't in order uh, uh, without doing. Even after they had the school for a number of years, they had Rhema Bible Training Center, but they didn't have a local church. Well, not for many years, but for a few years. And then they developed the church because it's scriptural to do so. Now, other ministries provide a valuable service to the body of Christ and are deserving of support. I'm not saying that, that Brother Doodad doesn't deserve support. You know, evangelist, teacher, you know, whoever, uh, they deserve, if they've, if they've got valid ministries, they deserve support through offerings over and above the tithe to your church. My wife and I give offerings to other ministers outside of, you know, giving to impact for our tithe uh, we give tithes and we give offerings here. We give far more than our tithe because we, you know, the Bible teaches tithes and offerings. So we give to all the different projects. If you hear there's a project going on, you can be sure we're giving to those projects. And, uh, and so, but we also give to other ministries outside this church. People that I believe in that uh, have had an impact in my life, uh, go with me over to Galatians chapter six. Galatians chapter six. Verse number six, Galatians 6, 6 says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of his flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap ever, everlasting life. But let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Notice he says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Well, it's just right. If you receive, uh, and I don't mean if you just, you know, if you turn the radio on and you hear somebody preach, you have to send them an offering. I'm not saying that. Or, or if that's kind of outdated. Nobody listens to the radio anymore. But if you turn on the TV and... And, uh, and, and watch you know, somebody on TV, that doesn't mean you're obligated to send them something. I'm saying if somebody ministers to you the word of God and you, and you receive from their ministry, it's right to send them an offering. But the tithe belongs in the local church. Amen. Well, praise God. The blessings of tithing. Well, we know from Genesis 4, go over there, Genesis 4. Genesis 4. In verse number 2, picking up in the middle, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the field or the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. 
Well, what was the difference between the two? Cain brought something. He just brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. It wasn't anything special. Abel, on the other hand, brought of the firstborn and of their fat. In other words, he brought, <clears throat> he brought the, the, the firstborn of his flock and then he brought, he brought the very best part of those lambs that he brought. he brought. He brought the best part and offered it to God. That is the idea of the tithe. Notice Cain brought an offering, but Abel actually brought the tithe. He brought the first fruits. And it says that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell and so forth. So whenever a person tithe, God respects the tither and he respects the tithe. He does not respect the person who just brings an offering but doesn't bring his tithe. He doesn't respect, now it doesn't say he doesn't, doesn't love you. I'm not saying he doesn't love you. I'm not saying you're not his child. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying God can't bless you uh, to, to some degree. He'll bless you as much as he can. He can, but in this regard, in this sense, God doesn't respect that. I've had people tell me and argue with me and say, well, I just, you know, I just believe, I, I just bring what I want to and I just believe the Lord loves you, loves me. I say, yeah, he loves you, but he doesn't respect you. In this regard, he doesn't respect you. He doesn't respect you and he doesn't re respect that offering you bring. Well, I'm faithful. I bring an offering every time. Well, do you tithe? Well, no, I just, you know, I just give this or that. God, God doesn't respect that. Amen. God respects the tithe and the tither. God will become your source and your financial partner when you join a partnership with God through the tithe. Go over to Genesis, you're there, go to the 14th chapter. In verse number 18 says, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. This is Genesis 14, 18. He was the priest of God most high and he, and he blessed him, that is Abraham, and, and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will take nothing that is yours. I will take, not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Oh, except only what the young men have eaten, and that's his army that went with him, and the portion of men who went with me. Uh, let them take their portion. Now notice right after that, it says, after these things, the very next thing we read, after these things, what things? Abraham tithing to Melchizedek. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Well, why, 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 would, why would the Lord, uh, why would God come to Abram in a dream and say, do not be afraid? You go through the Bible and look up every time an angel appeared or God spoke and said, do not be afraid. It was always when people were tempted to be afraid. Isn't that right? He said, do not be afraid. Well, what was he evidently just, you know, it doesn't really say this, but it sounds to me like Abraham, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham was concerned about his finances. Here he had walked away from all of this income, didn't receive any of it, gave it, gave the 10th to uh, to Melchizedek, but then the rest of it he didn't even take, just left it. 
Because he wanted to be God's man. He wanted people to know that God has made me rich. Well, how many of you ever walked away from a substantial amount of money before? Anybody? I haven't either. But I imagine it doesn't feel good. I imagine you look back and go, man, what have I just done? Well, I did. you're right. I did do that when I left my job. You know, I had a good income and provided for my family. Now, I didn't, we weren't, we weren't rich by any means, but we had a good enough, as a young man, 20, 26 years old, you know, I was working and I had two small children and my wife didn't have to work. She was a stay-at-home mom and, and we did just good on my income. And I left that, you know, to, to go out in the ministry. Well, in a sense, you know, I, I gave up some income. And yes, the devil was right there to say, boy, you are really foolish now what are you going to do now you know how are you going to feed those children and what you're going to do so uh, uh, I'm sure Abram had the same thoughts so the Lord appeared to him in a vision says do not be afraid Abram I am your shield your exceeding great reward that word reward in the Hebrew means payment of contract it means salary wage compensation money supply supply and benefit. God said to Abram after he walked away from all of that, honored God with the tithe and then walked away saying, I'm going to depend on God. God said, do not be afraid. I am your shield. You're exceedingly great money supply. You're exceedingly great income. Well, praise God. God blesses the tither. Now, let's go back to Malachi tonight and finish up here before we go. Because Malachi really lays, lays it uh, before us in a way that nobody can misunderstand it. The blessing of the tithe. Bring all the tithe, this is Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now there's a, there's a, uh, a paraphrase that's really good that somebody put together that took a lot of different translations and different ways these, these, these uh, verses were translated and put it all together and it reads like this. Just really helps you understand what God was saying. God said, bring as an act of your worship the full amount of your tithes. Notice he said, bring all your tithes. Bring the full amount of your tithes, the whole tenth of your income into the storehouse, the local church, that there may be food in my house and prove me now by it. Go ahead and put me to the test. Check me out, experiment with me, test me. Give me an opportunity to prove myself and you will see that I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven for you and pour out on you so much blessing, blessing financially and materially that you will not have enough room to contain it. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will protect the source of your income. I will stop the thief from destroying the fruit of your ground, that is the fruit of your labors, and the vines in your field will not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord God Almighty. Whoo, glory. Hallelujah. 
And, and somebody has pointed out that this is the only place in the Bible where God tells us to put him to the test. Every other place you read of, of testing God, we're instructed not to tempt, not to test, not to put the Lord God to the test. This is the only place in the entire Old and New Testament where we're, in, we're instructed to, we can actually test God. He's giving us a, 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 an opportunity. He's presenting a challenge. He's presenting a challenge to us. He says, yes, sir, you bring the tithe, all of it, the whole tithe, the whole tenth of your income uh, into the house of God and put me to the test. Experiment. Put me to the desk. Give me an opportunity. He said, you do that and I'll prove yourself that I will open up the windows of heaven for you. Praise God. Well, hallelujah. We don't, we don't, want, to be, we don't want to be God robbers. We want to be those who put God to the test and see him bless us. Now, it may, at first, it may be a challenge when you haven't been tithing, you, you, might, you might think, well, how in the world can I give God 10% of my income? I'm not making it now on the 100%. Well, if you're not making it on the 100%, you don't have a lot to lose. You're not making it anyway. Amen. So uh, the fact is, how many of you have, have put God to the test in this? How many of you, when you launched out, when you first started, you know, you, you wondered, you thought, I don't, I don't know, you know, if this doesn't look like this adds up. My finances don't look like this will, I can do this and get by. Anybody experience that? What happened? What happened? Things turned around. Things turned around. And for many of us, we didn't even know how it worked. It's just somehow at the end of the week or the end of the month, there was money left over and it didn't, even, it didn't even seem to make sense naturally how it could happen. God is a God of the miraculous. Now, at the same time, there's a, there's a point at which you have to take God at his word and step out in faith. And, and, it, and it might look like at first that you're gonna go under. I mean, you might, you might really... Uh, uh, have a day or two or a, or a week or a short period of time where it looks like this is not working. I'm going, I'm going further and further in debt. Listen, stay in faith. Stay in faith. Continue to believe God. You will come out on top. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.